to Marcy. Careless for once. Zabina was there though to bail him out. Now Francesco Totti onto Batistuta and Montella. Might get a second bite at it. Sits there. That's surely now that wraps up Luscadetto. Montella strikes again, his second of the afternoon. And well, you would think now they're home and dry. And there is sad to report a pitch invasion. Oh dear. Why do they have to go and spoil it like this? Well, you just don't know what the consequences of something like this is, but it really is ridiculous. Or the people that are going to suffer, or the people who are actually coming on, Peter. Hi everybody, welcome to the Teams of Our Lives with myself, Marcus Speller, and him, Andy Brassel. And these genuinely are the Teams of Our Lives because this happened very much in my lifetime and Marcus Speller's lifetime, correct? Mm, yeah, well, I mean, the vast majority do, Andy, I think. Uh, I suppose. Uh, well, we had a previous episode on Euro 88. Were you born then? Yeah, 82. Oh, right, okay. I don't actually remember... Um, the European Championships in 1988. I came in at 1990. Right. Well, may I, I just say you look younger. Thank you, cousin. And pregnant pause, which team. is not filled with anything. No. <laughs> I was just quite taken <laughs> aback. Um, well, I very kind of you to say. Well, this side, Andy, you're absolutely right. It was. It was very much uh, when we were. You were already a man, and I was becoming a man. Um, it is the Roma 2000-2001 Serie A title-winning season under big Fabio Capello. I'm glad you followed it with that sentence. I was just <laughs> expecting, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the body hair of our lives. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. I, was, I mean, I was 18 by the time. If I, uh, yeah, I would have been 18 when they won the title, turning 19. Look, no, no one's questioning your body hair, mate. Carry on. I don't think they should. Um, what? What a... I, it's an, an anomaly of a season, really, in the history of Serie A and, and in the history of Rome. Well, I mean, they've only won the Scudetto three times in their history. In yes. 41-42, 82-83, and then, of course, 2000-2001. So it's a rare thing in their history to win it. Um, but it's also quite rare um, for a, a side in Rome, generally, and... and and a more southern um, Italian side, if you can put Rome in, in the south of Italy, because in the 80s, you obviously had Maradona and Napoli come along yes, uh, and do their thing, and what was it, a couple of times. But you, the dominance of Milan and Juventus um, throughout the 80s into 1-1 as well, but then certainly in the 90s, Milan and Juventus were, were really quite domineering. It was quite slim pickings for a side like Roma. They'd obviously won it in 82, 83. But they hadn't built on that, though. And then these other teams sort of came along. And Napoli, it was a, sh- a star that shone very brightly, but then obviously uh, uh, went a bit wayward. And much like the man himself, Maradona, of course, and then Milan and Juventus came along. But this title came along at such an important time for Roma because we'd had, as I say, throughout the 90s, Juventus and Milan. But then along came Svenjorn Eriksson's Lazio, who won the title in 99-2000 with a star-studded lineup mm. and a lot of money being spent um, at the time. And 
it looked like when they won the league, they could actually maybe go on and win a couple more, which of course they didn't. But that title that Lazio won was only the second title in Lazio's history. So they pulled level with Roma. So it was quite incredible that a year later, Roma pulled their finger out and then won their third. So as soon as Lazio pulled level with them, you suddenly have Roma say, right, well, we can't have this. And and they win their third uh, Scudetto, of course, or Scudetti, should I say. Uh, and so for those two years, Rome was kind of at the centre of, uh, of Serie A, which is a very, very rare thing in the history of the league. It is. And um, it was wildly celebrated um, <laughs> with, with, with that in mind. Um, I mean, really... Uh, Poor old Lazio, eh, Andy? Do you hear that sentence often or that, that, those words often? No, I don't really think those <laughs> words often, actually. <laughs> oh, but um, I, I guess we'll, we'll talk more about... Um, the, the context and the aftermath later. Mm. But what I think is so interesting is because, of course, in any rivalry, um, you like to pick holes in the wider perception um, and, and the wider criticisms of that team. Now, mm-hmm. of course, um, we look at Sergio Cagnotti buying success for Lazio, and mm. there's no doubt about that. There's really no disputing that, despite the fact that, as we've said when we talked about Sven's Lazio before, his skill in pulling together these extremely expensively assembled players mm. to create a winning team was remarkable. If in off Signori as well. Exactly. Hugely impressive. Mm. Um, what I find amazing about Roma is outside Italy, I think people look at it as, you know, the beginning of the Totti love affair. <laughs> and, of course, Totti does play a huge um, part in winning the Scudetto in, in, in 2001. However, they did exactly what Lazio did. They spent an absolute <laughs> truckload of money mm-hmm. before the start of this season. Now, first off, Gabriel Batistuta, yep. who's arguably the key player in the season, cost them, what, 36, 37 million euros? 31-year-old as well. Which exactly is an absolute bloody fortune mm. in well, most contexts, actually, given yeah. that he's given that he's, he's, he's 31, as, as, as you say. It's kind of like, I suppose, if you're going to compare it to a modern-day transfer, you might say... Juventus buying Ronaldo in his 30s or or, or something like that in terms of cost and age and all that sort of stuff. He had an enormous impact, but they spent a fortune on him. Then Mm. not only that, they made a (laughs) 22-year-old Walter Samuel, the most expensive defender in the world. And he proved absolutely worth his weight in gold in that season. Very Capello sort sort of player. Very tough. And adapted really, really well. And then on top of that, you've got uh, they paid an absolute fortune for Jonathan Zibina as well, mm. which which people might for, forget. And um, Emerson before, as well was Emerson. Yeah, that, he was in. Board yeah, he he money. wasn't quite in the same bracket of, of expense, and he sure. became a bit of a, a Capello touchstone as 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 the years uh, went by. But you know they they broke the bank to get where they got as well. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And uh, the, 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 you know, you've already said it, the, the obvious one was Batistuta. You know, that, that was the big one brought in from Fiorentina. And he was hungry for a league title. He went there to win things, really. Uh, maybe earn a few quid more. But he was so synonymous with Fiorentina 
for them to prize him away from there, they've obviously sold a, a, a big vision. And I mean, he won the Coppa Italia at Fiorentina, mm. which, to be honest with you, back in those days, I don't think the Coppa Italia was that big a deal for not not as much as today. No, no, um, and it's only become a bigger deal probably because you've had teams like Inter and Juventus in recent years dominate the league. So teams think, well, actually, do you know what? Let's try and try and win that because it is something you could say. But it, Fiorentina winning the Coppa Italia was really still as good as it would get for him there. They were never going to. I mean, maybe if they could have a, you know, a tilt at say a sort of a UEFA Cup or a sort of Cup Winners Cup or something like that. But it didn't happen. So he went there really to win the league. You would say Andy because mm. they needed to respond to what Lazio did. Capello's not one to to piss around, and Capello. One can also forget what a manager Fabio Capello was back in the mm. day. Wherever he went, he would win. He was a winner, which is why England kind of got him in. It didn't quite work, of course, but he'd done great work at Milan, and he'd you know gone around uh, a few other places. He w- he would go on to win a, a league title, of course, at, at Real Madrid. Um, but but Andy, by the time he's gone to Roma. How is Capella being viewed? Is he still this guy who comes in and wins and and comes in and he disciplines everybody? You do it my way, lads, and we're going to win. Or had had his what well, about credibility? But has had his star waned slightly? A, a little bit, I think that's fair to say because you think of the first spell at, at Milan and it's it's an absolute peak. Mm. And I think you think especially of the 1994 um, Champions League win. Oh, yeah. The context, the style with which they did it, it showed that Capello could play more than one way. And, you know, it's one of the definitive Champions League final performances. But as with so many coaches, even of an absolutely elite level, Real Madrid took a lot out of him, the first spell at Real Madrid. Mm. Um, And that's how it is in terms of politics, in terms of, within the club in terms of conflicts all those sort of things now on one hand he kind of set the table for Real Madrid to go on and win the Champions League what in 98 2000 Mm -hmm. 2002 I'm not sure that was really recognized so much at the time because he brought in players like Roberto Carlos for example Seedorf who's important in the 98 win he was he was one of Capello's he didn't get on well with Raul and um, he made him play out wide, which people were pissed off about. So that was something that marked him a little bit. Mm. Then we talked about Cragnotti and, and Lazio. It seemed like at one point he'd agreed a deal to post-Madrid to go to Lazio, and that didn't happen. Mm. Um, and obviously, or to the benefit of Sven, which we can very much get <laughs> on board with here. Um, um, second spell at Milan wasn't quite as good. And so it's not like he was thought of as a busted flush or anything when he turned up at Roma, but there was a sense that he could do with doing something special there. Mm. And especially, you think, he takes over at Roma right at the end of, but pretty much when 98, 99's over. So in plenty of time, the full summer ahead of him uh, for 99, 2000, people are expecting a lot, as you Mm. say, and then that first season, not only the Lazio play with great style and go and win it, which is pretty hard to get past. Roman finished sixth. 
Yeah. Which is a massive, massive letdown, mm. which does two things. A, it conditions the spending, mm-hmm. which we talked about at the beginning, and that they feel that is the right thing to do. Now, they end up paying for it later on, and how? Very much like Lazio, because they overstretch themselves. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the short term, it conditions the spending. It also conditions the way that Capello looks at the team. And we associate him with a certain type of football, as you say, a certain type of discipline. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is a coach who is traditionally associated with 4-4-2 yep. changes the shape of that team mm. going into 2000, 2001, and it really works. I, I find that quite fascinating, Andy, because I remember speaking to a guy who would run FA coaching courses and was, was quite involved in working the FA. And it was when the Capello era had finished at England and it didn't quite work. And I remember saying yeah. to him, but why why did why did Capello just persist in playing this sort of four four two? Why didn't he have a little bit more in his locker with some of the players he had with England, you know, because we've we, we we've tried that and, and we were looking for something a bit bit different. And so and he said he's a four four two man. That's what he's always done. Now for the most part, obviously that that's what he's done. But I'm intrigued looking back at this Roma side and thinking, you know, he actually switched it up. And it and it worked quite quite clearly. Certainly that season, it was if if I'm reading this correctly, Andy, was it like a three four one two they sort of played? Yeah, exactly. Right. And um, there are a couple of things that allow him to to do that. Um, I think firstly the fact that Samuel comes in and mm. he's he's the ultimate man marker. He's not someone who's necessarily so pretty on the ball, mm-hmm. but he's very uncompromising. Of course, very very great longevity in Italian football goes on to be brilliant for Inter as well. But you think of him here at 22, so young and yet so suited to the role that he plays. And then you've got... And a um, left footer as well. Yeah, I, th- I think that's big. Um, Zabina comes in and is, is a little bit more unpredictable, um, but that does well behind uh, beside him and Zago. And they've got the perfect wing backs as well. Now, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. When we've been watching Italy through Euro uh, 2020, there's been a lot of um, uh, admiring glances, I suppose, at um, Leonardo Spinazzola. And he's got quite a lot of Vincent Candela in him mm-hmm. for me. You know, to see a, a Roma left back who is just an amazing footballer. Mm. Like like to define him as like a fullback or a wingback, it kind of seems a bit reductive because there's so much that he can do. Mm-hmm. And he just does what he wants, really. He just goes on the pitch and like expresses himself. One of, I can't remember who it was, but one of Candela's teammates from this Roma title winning side said, the thing is, he may have been a fullback, but he had the... He had the the touch and the ability of a number 10. Yeah. And I think that's quite interesting. When you've got him on one side, Cafu on the other, there's a huge strength immediately. Oh, yeah. And then you've got that bite in midfield from Emerson, from Damiana Tomasi, who's a real leader. I think those are all really important things. But the, the wing-backs... Uh, a huge for for Roma in in in, in this season. You know, such imagination, so competitive, um, just really incredibly talented players. Mm. Well, I mean, Candelari played a little bit for 
France in World Cup 98 and Euro 2000. Mm. Not much, of course, because of the way they set up and Lisa Razu is, you know. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. No no, no, no complaints there. But but that's how good he was, you know, being involved. And that showed you the strength and depth of the the French national team at the time. Um, Obviously, Zago, uh, Brazilian, was playing... um, uh, in the centre of the three, but Aldair would would come in a bit as well. Yeah, who's a real legend at Roma and getting on a it, bit by then. A little bit, yeah. But yeah, but Aldair is. I think in this country we don't really know that much of him, despite him playing for Brazil at World Cups and so on. But he was a fantastic centre back. He was, and really important in the dressing room. Mm. I think this is this is super important. The, the maturity of some of those players. Aldair is part of it. Cafu's part of it as well. Batistuta is is, mm. is is part of it. I think that leadership, and that's what Roma have always needed in their dressing rooms. Going back to uh, the 1984 team that lost to Liverpool in the um, in, in in the European Cup final at the Stadio Olimpico. If you fast forward to the Roma has risen from their ruins team from <laughs> um, what 2018 that will be, won't it? Um, when when they lost to Liverpool eventually in the semi-finals, having done the comeback on Barcelona, you think of that midfield of Strootman, twenty nineteen, yeah, yeah, forget now, yeah, Stro- Strootman, yeah, um, uh, and and Dedosi. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's really important. I think the the understanding that to to be an effective Roma player, you need not just to be a great player. You need to have the personality to mm-hmm. to take it on, and Capello got that, of course. I mean, he he played for Roma, didn't he, for what three four years in the late sixties, mm-hmm. um, maybe more synonymous with with Milan and, and and Juventus. But he's someone who who got the situation, who got the dynamic of the club, and, mm-hmm. and that was very important. Yeah, I mentioned Emerson earlier. He was brought in as a part of sort of making the spine of the team a, a little bit more solid. Obviously, yeah. Samuel was as well. But Emerson, he didn't play much in the first half of the season. He was injured. But in yeah. that 3-4-1-2, the two guys in the centre of the pitch were asked a lot of because really mm. the, the, the the one in front, whether it be Totti usually, is not going to track back that much. And I know you've got energetic wingers or wing backs uh, to help out a little bit there. Um, but Emerson, he, he played a bit in the second half of the season, but Christian Zanetti and uh, Tomasi in the centre of midfield. My goodness, did they work their what's-its off that year? Warriors. Absolute <laughs> warriors. And uh, I think when you look at some of the atta- attacking talent that was was up top, uh, I, th- I think that's a great point. Um, but th- they were they were able to rely on not just one player, but three players who could, hmm. who could score goals in. You know, I think the... the the image we have of Totti sometimes is the last image that he left. Mm. That sort of image of wise old man, <laughs> schema. He was like a proper free spirit who yeah. did whatever then. And you were getting goals from Batistuta. You are getting goals from him. You are getting goals from Vincenzo Montella, who had an absolutely fantastic season and was really rocking the plane celebration at the time as well. well he, he was often brought off the bench. Del Vecchio yeah. tend to start in front of him, whereas Montella had 13 league goals to his name that year, whereas De Vecchio only had three in the league. But it showed you the type of jobs he was maybe asked to do. Yeah. Because Batistuta, his stroke partner, got 20 in the league that year. Yeah, that's right. Del Vecchio's significantly less glamorous, <laughs> but a scorer, a scorer of big goals as well. But I think that club 
squad contribution is something that's really important as, as as well. You just look at those little contributions that Del Vecchio made and Hidetoshi Nakata made. Like there's there was that game where they went to Juventus, I think in spring, mm. and um, Zidane had one of those Zidane nights. <laughs> he was he was amazing. He uh, he set up the first for Del Piero. He scored a brilliant second. Um, himself and at that point Roma are in in trouble I mean they're still mm. top of the table but mm. you know they're, they're, they're getting a beating off off Juventus and then Nakata who's not always a first pick mm-hmm. or a pick at all for Capello he comes to the four he smashes one in from absolutely miles out which is a brilliant goal and looks so incredibly unruffled after scoring it as well as this. This happens all the time, you know, as, yeah. as one of the most he, beautiful he, footballers to have ever thinking, graced a pitch. He's probably thinking to himself, it doesn't matter if I've done this, I'm not going to play next week. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And then um, he has the he has the shot right at the end, which the goalkeeper lets slip. Another one from range, which the goalkeeper lets slip. And it's, it's, it's towed in by... I think it's I think it's by Vincenzo Montella in the end who, who, who gets the equaliser, mm. and that's an absolutely vital point, not just in itself, but in keeping Juventus at a reasonable distance mm. as, as as well. And in these big games, he always had the tools for the job. Mm. Yeah, and and it's it is interesting. I mean, around this time, Serie A was still, I would say, probably La Liga's bubbling up nicely but Serie A would you say is still seen as the best league in the world or in Europe say if, if it's not it's really close you know yeah Italian teams give or take the odd year of Real Madrid have, mm-hmm. have still generally got a, a good grip on yeah. the, the the Champions League as well and you know I think th- th- this this was something incredible really because it's so competitive then mm. there's so much new money coming into the league yeah. as, as as well um we're at a point where capello's as you say looking for his second wind where carlo ancelotti has not yet established himself as a, as a winning coach and mm-hmm. not yet got his feet under the table at, at milan before inter Let's be honest. Benefit from Calciopoli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> you, you know, in, Inter are not modern Inter at, no. at, 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 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there are a lot of invariables going on. In fact, if you go to the, the I, th- I think the power balance is is so much more. Well, you can't really say healthy, obviously, because a lot of these clubs sure. are are living beyond their means to a ridiculous level. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the sporting balance of Serie A, it's very healthy at the time because mm-hmm. you know you fast forward to the historic game at the end of the season where Roma see the championship out by beating Parma. Mm. You look at that Parma team; yeah. still are unreal. Yeah, yeah. With 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 Buffon, Cannavaro, Turam, mm. players like that is absolutely incredible. And you know, you know, th- there, like I think, as you say, Marcus, the strength in depth in Serie A is something absolutely extraordinary. But I guess my memory of this and my memory of like seeing this game on the on on the on the television because mm. of course this was the back end of the football Italia era because mm. that win where. Roma beat Parma to 
close out the Scudetto on the final day of the season is the last game that's shown on Channel 4. Well, how about that? Um, in this country. Which is the end of an era for British Calcio fans. Yep. And I, th- I think, I mean, I, I guess people who watch cricket will have felt this from the 2005 Ashes going forward a couple of years from that. But I, I guess the fact that sport becomes... or terrestrially shown sport is becoming less of a priority mm. is something you feel because Roma are winning I think 3-0 at that point it's, it's after the it's either 2-0 or 3-0 I think it's just after the Batistuta goal that makes mm-hmm. it uh, 3-0 classic Batistuta rampages up front no support yeah. cuts in smash it in yeah lovely uh, and um, they go well uh, thanks for joining us this afternoon and they cut to Animal Hospital yeah. And and that is the end of Serie A on Channel Four, and it's 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 really sad, quite infuriating if you're watching it, but quite a, a sort of poignant moment to the way that football and the way we consume it, and certainly mm-hmm. our, our relationship as as football fans with Serie A in the UK, really really goes is and the celebrations afterwards. I mean, you kind of got a hint from them during the game with the goals because you know there's that famous Johan Cruyff quote about I'd never play a, a, a Roma because of the running track around the Olympico yeah. well you know what this is the afternoon where it comes into its own it reminds <laughs> me of like Maradona era Napoli when when Totti scores the opening goal it's a great moment rips his shirt off goes mental piles past like the hundreds of photographers that are there poised and goes to celebrate with the fans and he gets swamped by like subs, ball boys, photographers, <laughs> people who don't really know what they're doing there. Mm. And and that is really where that area, that, that, that is, that is the one bit where Italian football and old style Italian grounds, where you have this gap between the pitch and the fans, that's where it comes into its own. This sort of like, celebration area that, that's something you don't really get in you know i think best practice quite rightly is that the the crowd really sort of box in the pitch nowadays i feel good about that i think that's a good thing and i think mm. it's a good thing that that's accepted as best practice but that is the one area where you think yeah that's pretty good actually yeah that whole like party that sense that there's going to be at least a two and a half minute delay until kickoff (laughs) all that sort of stuff it's absolutely fantastic and it's such a sad thing that british fans miss the best of those (laughs) celebrations at the end i had some friends who like not really into football and quite inadvertently gone to rome that weekend and they said they were just like, they got on the metro to go out for dinner and there's like thousands of people there and they're like, shit, what is going on? You know, this is like the biggest thing to have happened to Rome since, well, last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, Andy, a pleasure talking to you about this one. Um, it may have been the end of, of Channel 4, but on, a, on another note, what a way to finish. Roma's uh, exactly. third uh, title win and... Um, and those scenes of celebration. Well, thank you very much for listening to Teams of Our Lives, everybody. Thank you, Andy Brassel. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And we'll be back next week, everybody. So sit tight until then.
the Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.